This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Monday Morning Break with me, Kandu Kutik. Today, we'll be looking at the bigger picture, environmental awareness and sustainability, and I have quite a special guest with me today. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And hello, everybody. It's me, your host for the Monday morning break. What's it like where you are? Look out the window. Take a look. I'm looking out my window and I can tell you that it's gray and wet here in Western Germany. A little warm as well. And this warm weather for this time of year where we are is unusual, right? And another sign that our climate is changing. Now, I honestly wouldn't have put much thought to this if not for two things. First, the cranes are back. You see them in the sky, marvelous formations, 300, 400 birds at one time. And these big swan-like birds are native to northern Germany and Scandinavia. Now, and I only know this, not just because I'm amazing and all things like that, but I actually only know this because I read just last week that this year's migration is weeks, not one, not two, but weeks, three, four, five weeks early. And it's only happening because it becomes so warm. And that's my little bit of environmental awareness for today. That brings me to our guest. And interestingly, a year ago, I was guest and he was host and here he is. Sir Harrington the Brave, say hello. Hello. Hello, hello. So fun fact, right? A year ago, I was guest and Harry was host. From host of the Twilight Uh Show to guest on a Monday morning break. Look at that. How are you this Monday morning? The dream, the dream. Um, I am well. I have already walked to school and back. I've been to the shops and bought lots of vegetables. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the weather is, um, well, I'm going to say unseasonably warm, but it's, uh, it's not unseasonably warm anymore because I'm so used to people saying, oh, it's not normal. It's like, do you know what? This is normal now, I'm afraid. Um, it's not how it should be, but it's definitely normal. It's not how it should be. What should it be like, Harry, this time of year? <laughs> Um, it should not be t-shirt weather at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it should not be me looking to dust off my Birkenstocks because socks are getting too much already. Um, yeah, it, it should certainly be a bit cooler. We have had a bit of rain, which is unusual um, because it hasn't rained here much recently. But um, yeah, it's it's very, very warm. You know, we're, we're talking 23, 24 degrees. That is warm. That is warm. And what you just mentioned about the rain, right, two, three weeks ago when I was um, in Barcelona, well, heading back home. um, So heading to the airport and I was on that bus and all I saw was dry, dry, almost desert-like weather, all no greenery on the shrubs at all. And and again, you know, there's these things around us, they're looking at you in the the face and, and... there are people who just go through their day-to-day lives and not notice how things are changing. And there are people who have, um, who do have this, this awareness. And that's what you're here to talk to me about today. Um, last time we talked, Harry, um, we chatted about how, well, last time when we were on Teachers Talk Radio, we chatted about how ELT teachers are much more than just teachers, if you remember. And I today, do indeed. I remember very well. 
oh, sometimes we're DJs. But today, Harry, today, I'd like to go one step further. I'd like to be a bit bolder. And I'd like to say, you know, now one year on with confidence that we inspire others and we can be activists. This taken from a very recent plenary that we both attended. And I know that you're quite the activist yourself. So let's go straight into it, Harry. Environmental awareness, sustainability, why is this important to you and why should it be important to everyone, in fact? I, th I think I'm going to start with the second question there as to why it should be important for everyone, because um, there's, there's one thing we all share. Um, every single one of us on the planet has one thing in common, and that is that we live on the planet. Um, we're all here. <laughs> And, and this is pretty much the only place we've got until Elon Musk can, you know, get us over to Mars, because that's going to be a nice place to live. Um, so this, as we have this one uniting factor, the planet that we live on, I feel that we really should know how to take proper care of it. You know, when if if you go to the library, you take care of the books in the library because you know that the books are there for everyone. You know, if mm -hmm. you go to the park over the road from you, then, you know, you pick up your dog mess, most people, if they're reasonable humans. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're these these places, they're commons. They're things that we all use. They're things that, that everybody has. And I think we need to realize that the climate is a commons. It's something that we all we all use. We all need. We all, you know, the, the economy thrives when the the climate is good. And when it isn't good, well, you see what happens to crops and so on. So it's, I think we should all care about it because we have to. It's the, it's the one thing in the world that truly unites everybody. Yeah, there are still people, though, who are quite ambivalent about it or quite ignorant. I mean, they, the example you give with the library books, yeah, it's just a one-to-one. -one. It's I've taken out this book and I know I have to return it and I have to return it in a good condition because um, if I don't, you know, I might have to pay for a new book or I might be banned from using the library. Okay. And and so there's this one-to-one -one relation. And, and yet, you know, when, when we're talking about the climate, we're talking about the earth, you know, here where we live, not many people can make that connection not many people can make that that bigger connection and why why is that oh I'm, i'm not sure i think you brought out a brilliant point there though when you mentioned the library and the reasons that you mentioned why they should take the books back to the library and often it's because th there is that one thing you say so if i don't take it back i might get a fine if i don't take it back i might be banned and it's not mm. if i don't take it back in good condition the next person won't be able to use it i mean and that's the kind of thing thinking that we need to have in terms of the planet it's not about what it's like for us it's about what it's like for the next person who takes the book out it's what it's like for you know think about tomorrow think about the next day when you know when when we were younger and the talk of of the greenhouse effect and global warming came in you know it was always talked about as a distant thing this thing that you know our children would have to deal with or our grandchildren but Mm. The problem is, it's it's not that anymore. It's it's everybody that has to deal with it. I know from from your own experience in in Germany a couple of years back, there were some insane floods. Yeah. Um, and as you mentioned, you went through Barcelona, you went through Catalonia, and it's just so dry. Like these are things that we are experiencing now. We're living them now. So we can't go back on the rhetoric that we used to have that it would be a problem for future generations because. It is our problem as well. You know, this is us getting our library fine. This is us, you know, not being able to use the library again. So we need to, you know, take care of it now. Mm. Yeah, I, you you have a point there. There's, there's definitely the now. We need to take care of it now. Um, I tell many people, well, I'm kind of like living here, right? I mean, I, I don't like to live in a, you know, in a dirty, messy house that's not got heating or, you know, has, hasn't got proper running water. So if we transfer that concept to our planet, I'd like to live in a place where I feel comfortable. There's the now. There's also, though, the distance. And I think that's why many people see, you know, these problems as, as far removed from them. 
right? Um, I was talking about yeah. the cranes, the cranes who are migrating back to northern Germany and Scandinavia. And I read in that article, they were saying that because the weather has been really changeable here as well. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So it's been warm and the cranes think, okay, now it's time to go back up north. So they fly up and obviously they don't make the whole journey in one, well, sitting's not quite the right word, but they don't do it in one <laughs> in one go. So they have to stop and rest. <clears throat> so they find places to stop and rest and re report um, said that, um, that these birds, um, when they rest, they, they end up in, you know, forest or woodland or whatever. And they, they look for food and they, you know, they end up eating plastic or get, they get themselves caught in plastic or the weather changes again and it gets cold and it gets too cold for them to fly in. And, you know, they, they die wherever they are. And you can read stories like that. And there'll be the people who read it and go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's really sad. And damn, it's that plastic again. And then there are people who read it and, and don't feel anything. They're kind of like, oh, right, those birds off to Scandinavia. Well, yeah. good for them. Oh, you know, and I think, I think that's the problem. I think the problem is the distance, right? Um, they, they just feel so far removed. People feel far removed from, from what's happening um, in our environment. So we want to bring it closer. We want to start right with the young people that, that we're working with. We want to start where we can reach lots of people. And that's our classrooms. So tell me, Harry, can you describe some of the classrooms you've been in and some of the classrooms you've seen? Oh, of course. What well, do they look like? Well, it depends on the classroom, to be honest. But yeah, the, I think the thing that you pointed out there about it being so far away is that's where we can, you know, you mentioned we can make it, put it into our classrooms. But when we bring it into our classrooms, make it local again. Mm. Because I, I wouldn't be great at going into a classroom in, in Germany, for example, and talking about the local issues there because I don't know about them. I don't know about the cranes. You know, I had no yeah. idea about the cranes. But people in those local situations, teachers in those local areas, it's it's so easy to see what's happening. And and as soon as you look at the things that are happening around you, you'll find that connection a lot easier. I mean, I've I've taught in a lot of different places around the world. Um, mm. but, and, and especially recently in, in terms of, you know, after the old pandemic when everybody started using Zoom. You know, I've, I've been in a lot more classes since then. Um, I've been in places in, in Turkey, in Brazil, in Mexico, in, in, in Italy, obviously only virtually. Um, mm. But the, the one thing that I've seen in all of these different areas is students get passionate about things that are, are relevant to them, that are local to them. So either we're talking about video games, we're talking about fast fashion, um, mm. or we're talking about specific local issues that happen. So I was speaking in, in Vietnam recently, and they told me about some landslides that they'd had. Like I, I know nothing about landslides. Um, this is so I was then learning from the the teachers who were then taking it into their classrooms as well. So it is all about localizing the issues. Exactly, um, and you're dead right there. I grew up in Singapore, right? And um, when we had, um, we learned about um, air pollution at the time. It wasn't so much you know, like, oh, save the earth kind of thing, but it was air pollution. And I remember in our geography books, we learned about it in geography, um, air pollution, deforestation and things like that. But mm -hmm. they had in those books, you know, pictures of, of industrial areas, industries with these really high chimneys that were nowhere in Singapore, I don't think. And then these Amazon rainforests, Yes, we should all, you know, be aware and be interested and know where it is. But right in our backyard, Indonesia, they have a massive problem with deforestation. We they they cut yeah. down right, they cut down the palm trees and they burn them. They don't actually cut them down. I think they, they just burn them. And every year, um, in certain months, I don't remember anymore, um, we get all this smoke from, you know them burning the forest to clear the forest for all that palm oil that, that we put in Nutella and things like that. Uh, that could have been in the textbook. That could have been more relevant for, yeah. for young people. But 
you know, Amazon rainforest, we make no connection to that. Or, or these, exactly. you know, and big industries in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the biggest issues when it comes to kind of, you know, generic textbooks. I know that when, when you're writing a textbook, I know from firsthand experience, you know, you're trying to please as many people at once. So, you know, you go with Amazon rainforest, you go with uh, polar bears that are, that are dying in, you know, and, and it's the important thing here is to, to provide the teacher with, with opportunities and to give them leeway to connect those issues to the places at home, because, you know, we can't write a textbook for, for everyone. Um, mm. I do, they, they are definitely improving. Uh, I'm working on one at the moment that is absolutely sublime. It, it's, um, I'm working as a sustainability consultant for for somebody, and and I've been looking through this book and the connections that are made in it to the environment, to various aspects of sustainability, and, and they're global. So when you go through these books, the likelihood is at some point you will come across something that's related to to where you are. It's not all about you know the the rainforest and so on. But the key mm. to it, the, the thing that I, I really like is the way that they've given teachers opportunity and scope and guidance to help their students look at their local area. So it isn't just, you know, how can we save the polar bears? It's are there any environmental issues close to you? What are they? Mm. How could you help them? What could you do? So, again, it's taking those big global issues that that look good in print because let's be honest, a cute polar bear does look good in print and everyone knows what a polar bear is and like bringing them down and making them more relevant to, to things that our students know and care about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, what you're saying there with, with, you know, teachers, giving teachers the tools, making, you know, helping them to, to kind of localize, to kind of bring in these issues, relevant issues to their learners. It takes teacher initiative, I have to say, I mean, it's very easy for anybody, right? Um, especially with teachers with a, for teachers with a full workload and you're in and out of class and you've got all that other admin work. It's a lot easier to just open your textbook and go, hey, okay, right, this is our topic for today. Um, we're learning um, passive voice and we're going to look at the Amazon rainforest and talk about it using passive voice. But it takes initiative for the teacher to actually recognize that Right. I don't just want to practice language in, you know, in the case of us ELT teachers, but I also want to um, make language learning relevant. I want to make language relevant. And, you know, these are the burning issues of the day. And I'd like to address that this is what we're dealing with here. It takes initiative and it requires the teachers to to do some research. And, yeah, and not everybody will want to do that. No, mm. they they really won't. Um, and and I've I've worked with thousands of teachers um, in the last five years or so. Um, and whenever I say to them, you know, what what are the barriers between you and sustainability in your class? The first one is it's an obvious one, and it's it's the same barrier that everyone has when they want to do everything. It's the same barrier for me when I'm making excuses not to do exercise. Um, it's, it's time. You know, the first thing is we don't have time. We've got all of these things that we need to do, mm -hmm. We've got all of these areas that we need to cover. So, you know, I don't have time. And th the next one that they say is a lack of expertise. You know, these are the first right. two things. I always say time, lack of expertise. And the third one is they don't want to scare the children. Now, I think the third one is a bit of a cop out and a bit of a lie and a bit of a, I don't really have time and I can't really be bothered. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll put the, the blame on the students. But the first two are, are, you know, they're very obvious things that, you know, we need to do things to to avoid this. And and there are, there are plenty of ways to, to find the time to do it. Now, one of the easiest things that I like to do is, just do a critical thinking analysis for two minutes at the end of the class. Yeah. So literally the last two minutes of the class, you don't have to mention the planet beforehand, but there's always two minutes in a class. Like let's, let's be honest. There's yes, you have a lot to do, but there's always two minutes that you can find somewhere and just spend those last two minutes analyzing what you've talked about today and the effect that it has on the planet or the effect that it has on other social justice issues. So you know, when you're talking about jobs, at the end of the jobs thing, 
why not talk about gender equality and the mm. gender pay gap? Um, you know, you don't just have to talk about firefighter, police officer. You can look at these other important issues that are in there and you can bring them to your students' attention and ask them how it's connected. So when you're talking about sport, how is sport connected to the planet? How is sport connected to gender equality? You know, where, how can we reduce inequalities within sport and, and look at these different areas that, that you can find and literally spend two minutes reflecting on the connection there and and it doesn't have to be you don't have to create any more materials you don't have to go out you don't have to learn any more things and that takes me nicely on to the the next one and that's when people say they don't have the expertise mm -hmm. um you don't have to be an expert in environmental science to know how to care about the planet you know it, it's easy to know if what you are doing is not good for the planet it's easy to know if what other people are doing is not good for the planet you don't have to know all about carbon sequestration you don't have to know you know all of these complex words and stuff like that what you need to know is what's right to do and you only need to have you know, be one step ahead. So if you're going to talk about deforestation in class, spend 10 minutes reading about deforestation before you go in. Ask students to work on it and bring their ideas in. Mm -hmm. You know, what you're doing is bringing a topic to the table. You're not forcing knowledge onto people. You're encouraging people to, to speak to it. So let's speak yep. about it. And and it's a lot more, <clears throat> excuse me, um, what you were saying with, with, you know, just spending the last, it doesn't have to be an entire lesson right on on gender equality pay gap um deforestation just spending the last couple of minutes and making a conversation out of it and we are so well placed in the english language classroom to do that because you know we we cover our material we do some grammar we do some vocabulary and why not spend the last 10 minutes and i can just you know i i've just had this picture in my head you were talking about deforestation i talked about deforestation we could just end the lesson with something like you know what do you all eat for breakfast i think i mean everybody knows that yeah that's palm oil in in nutella everybody knows that that there's palm oil in everything and our use of palm oil is excessive and is one of the reasons for deforestation so we can go you know in from the what you have for breakfast and all that and then i'm sure there'll be some person there who who eats excessive amounts of Nutella and then we can talk about that and, and then come to you know deforestation and talk that in Germany for example I know lots of people who are going for Nutella alternatives and, and you see them on the jars you know they, you've got the organic ones and then you've got the ones that that have that sticker that says made from sustainable palm oil or yeah through sustainable um, production and you have those with a stick on it that says made without palm oil and and that could get into a conversation or you know and and open many other mm -hmm. um alleys for further conversation so i think um what you're saying is it's actions it's actions it's not coming in with tons and tons of worksheets um and trying to fit them into your syllabus but it's more actions and and exactly. we actually exactly and moments moments exactly we have a lot of actions um in germany i i don't know how it is where where you are and i know um you've got a your daughter's the same age as almost same age as mine and you know secondary school school going um what we have in Germany, a very big thing in Germany is is the use of paper. So there's lots of paper, you know, there's a real big push to use less paper. And we have that. Um, I see it in, in, in my children's context. I see it um, at work where we're trying to avoid printing. You know, you have that on your emails, um, you know, that little message at the end. Do you really need to print this email or with the kids now using um, their iPad so much for lessons? Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot fewer, a lot less photocopying going on where in the end, I, I remember 10 years ago, I used to find old photocopies from various different other people who shared the room with me all in stacks there, which is a total waste of paper. It, it absolutely is. It's one of my, it's been one of my pet peeves for quite a long time. Um, also, people, you know, they have 10 students in the class, so they'll print 12 
just in case. And it's like, what, in case that more in case people where, arrive? Where what? Where, in case, where would... <laughs> like, why have you printed extra? And then only four people turn up. So in the end, they've got seven left over. And it's like, what's wrong with you? Why did you do that? Like, why did you print mm. so many? Any yeah. of those, like so unnecessary. Um, so yeah, there, there's that like that very simple act of of you know just stopping and, and printing less and, and printing less often and you know even waiting um, for until the lesson starts, seeing how many are there and sending someone to get the copies if they're absolutely necessary. It's mm. you know it's it's not something that we we really need though, particularly with interactive whiteboards and stuff like yeah. that. If if your students have got a notebook, then put it up on the interactive whiteboard and then they can write it in their notebook. Writing is still quite a cool thing to do. Even That's the thing. Exactly. I've, I've realized when we give out copies, students just look at them, put them in their folders and never look at them again. Right. And, exactly. and they just feel, oh, I've got the, I've got the handout now. And they don't take notes. They don't make their own they don't, you know, they don't listen to you because they feel, oh, well, you know, um, I've got my copy. I'll look at it just before the exam. Um, and, and that's very frustrating. What, what I do with my, with my students is I, I tell them, look, it's, it's up on Moodle. Um, if you want it, you print it down. But, you know, here, take, take notes, write, write these down. Um, I'm quite restricted in, in my classroom. So there's other things that we can do just, you know, for this awareness, environmental awareness. In, in in my son's school, I could imagine he's in an elementary school and they're currently learning about the seasons. He was telling me they're learning about the seasons. So they'd have charts in their classroom about the migration of birds and, um, you know, what you should have this time of year. The crocuses are coming up. The daffodils are coming up. I can't do that in my classroom because I work at a university and I share my one room with various other teachers. So what else can I do short of coming in and out with a poster about some sustainability theme that I'd like to work on? What can I do as an English teacher to instill this environmental awareness without scaring my kids? Well, I call them kids, but my young people (laughs) off. The first thing you can do, and I, I say this for, I, I've been saying this for quite a while now as well, and it's actually the first chapter of, of the book that I'm writing at the moment, and it's get a plant in your classroom. It's it's such a small and simple thing like to, to think about. Just get a plant or get a couple of plants in your classroom because they're good for, for literally everything. Um, they're good because they brighten up the room. They're good because mm-hmm. they... Um, they reduce carbon dioxide and they're good because you have that bit of nature in the classroom. You have that bit of something that just reminds students about, you know, how important nature can be. And and there are all sorts of things you can do with plants, even with university students, you know, you can, you can still propagate the plants. And um, I have a good friend of mine, Indiana, who, who propagates her plants. And when the students, um, you know win a prize or whatever that that prize is a propagated spider plant and they get to take it home and plant it themselves um Mm. and she she does that with all the way up to proficiency level students so um it's not just something for primary kids which i think is often the way we look at some of these kind of sustainability activities as it were so you know stuff like upcycling um plastic you know it's oh yeah that's very popular where where i am Exactly. It's, it's, it's seen as a craft. So people think, exactly. oh, that's crafting. So that's for primary school kids. It's like, well, actually, that's something that we can all use. You know, we can all make a plant pot. Uh, making a plant pot out of an old bottle mm. is a useful thing to do. You know, it's a fun thing to do. And, and you have to go through the steps. It's a bit like, you know, when you, you do your lesson on um on food as well so you know you have the how-to and you get your students to write a recipe or whatever yeah now you can do the same kind of thing when you're making your plant pot or what you can do with that is what I love to do in the food lessons with my students is um, talk about the most colorful meal and the competition in the class is who can make the most colorful meal and then they have to you know write down the steps or make a video about the steps or you know talk about that and that way they can also talk about the different nutrients that come from the different colors mm-hmm. um yeah 
So there are all sorts of things that you can do with with university age students that we sometimes think, oh, they're, maybe they're too old for it, but really they're not. Yeah, what I really like about the ideas that that you've mentioned is not it. It doesn't just um, it doesn't just raise environmental awareness or let's just say awareness of the world we live in, um, but it actually also can help your learners, no matter what age take ownership of something, be proud Absolutely. of something. I'm, in, in Germany, they don't have plants in the classroom. I think it's a health and safety hazard. Don't ask. Something to do with allergies and What? flies and flies in the earth. Ah. I don't know. I, I, I could well be wrong. Okay. But if one were in a classroom in a country where, <laughs> you know, plants were not considered a health and safety or having a plant in your class was not a health and safety hazard, you could have, for example, um, a, a, a rota, right, for, you know, students mm -hmm. to take care of the plants and, and for them to learn that, right, you know, I have this plant um, and this plant needs taking care of. I have plants at home and hey, voila, it's actually my parents, my mother who takes care of this plant. But, you know, I, I, this, this plant just doesn't, you know, unless it's a cactus, I suppose, it doesn't just live and grow on its own. It actually needs some tender loving care. We need to, you know, pick off the dead leaves or on flowers, you know, you deadhead them. And, and, and especially in the English language classroom, right? You, you then introduce them to so much vocabulary that's relevant to mm -hmm. them because rather than looking at a yep. picture book and looking at these plants that you don't actually have in your in in your country perhaps that you get the kids to think about the plants that they have at home and exactly. and i remember my daughter in primary school once because um we had an allotment when we lived in canterbury and from a very early age you know, we had roses and things like that. She learned the word deadhead, where, you know, you have mm -hmm. a plant that's gone out of bloom and it's dying. So you just snip off the top. And of course, she was the only one in a primary school who said then to a teacher when they were talking about the life cycle of plants, who then went. And, you know, at the end, you have to deadhead that. And everybody was like, look at that. And they were well impressed. So, you know, you can introduce so, so much without it being threatening at at all well exactly and and the funny thing is but particularly with younger kids you know we look at the look at the course books look at the syllabi look at the different things that we're learning and and it, it's always the same you know it's colors numbers directions family like those those key important words but you know why is it not important to learn things about growth and growing and, and sharing now one of the great projects we're doing at the moment with our students is um we we made our our plant pots we um we upcycled some plastic and we planted some pro propagated mm. plants and in each of their teams they're taking care of the plant each one of them like takes it for a week they look after it and they're researching where to place it in the room and And the funny thing is, like, when we started talking about it, this was the thing that most of the students had, like, a really high level of English in, because at school, science is done in English. So we were talking about photosynthesis, and, and they knew all the words. They yeah. knew all the scientific yeah. words. I was, like, blown away by it, because this is relevant. Like, this, these are things that they will be learning in their science classes as well. These are, these, this is vocabulary that they need. And, but it does also have that idea of, You know, this is a shared thing. This is an item that we all need. This is a thing we all need to take care of. So even mm. like if they're not sharing the plants, but they then see plants as being something that is for everybody. Yeah. I mean, you talked about the vocabulary, right? And I think vocabulary retention is also higher because they're talking about something that's near, you know, that the distance isn't, you know, you've, you've, you've bridged that distance. Right. So mm -hmm. it's it's always like that. If I talk about something like in German, if I were to, to talk about something that was totally alien to me, I, I wouldn't have the words for it. But, you know, other things that I'm more familiar with, I could go on and on nonstop as as I always do. What they have in my son's school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> what they have in my son's school twice a year is that they have 
um, they have two raised beds they've in in the school yard and they it they call it it's the gardening afternoon so every child's you know every family gets an email and you know with the announcement okay well um the weather's getting better now it's time to do something about that bed and you know if you have seeds or seedlings or you know bulbs bring them with you we're going to clear out the bed and um we're going to you know do something nice with it and after that um you're welcome to stay for for refreshments and and this is then done as a whole school event so mm-hmm. i think you know teachers shouldn't have to feel that oh this is the onus is on me it's all it's all me and i've got to do it and i don't know what to do i think you can look beyond your own classroom and see if there's something you could do as a school or as an institution. I do think you, have... you absolutely mm-hmm. have to. Yeah, I think you really have to look beyond. Like if, because as teachers, we often do feel isolated. You know, we're in the classroom, we're teaching with the, you know, the doors closed or whatever, and it feels like that's our space. Yeah. We need to think more that the door is open and that the school is our space and the neighborhood is our space. And, you know, the people at school aren't just the kids. The people at school are the families. You know, everybody should be involved. Everyone, you know, when my daughter comes home from school, we talk about what she did at school. But, you know, there's other things that we can do to get involved in that. We care about what happens in our our kids' schools, right? We care about Mm. how they're learning, what they're being educated about. So why not get involved? Again, parents will say, oh, I don't have time for that. And, you know, that's the teacher's job or whatever. Well, yeah, there are things that are the teacher's job, but there's also things that as as parents and, you know, the parents involved with the school, there are things that we can do. You know, what can we provide the school mm. with as well? And and you never know until you ask or you mention it, right? I mean, you, you say that there are teachers, some teachers, and, and I have that as well, that sometimes I think I'm, I'm the lone ranger here where, where I am and things like that. And then you speak to somebody and then you realize hey, that person wants to do the same thing. Why don't we join up and, and, and do this together, whatever this may be? Or even with, with parents, I think as a school, sometimes we think exactly that, you know, all oh, parents have, you know, don't want to get involved and, oh, the parents are busy. But there's very different ways parents can can get involved. Like Like you were saying, there are some parents who can, who will say, hey, that's not my business and, and that's school and, and I've got enough to do uh, in, in my day job. But, but there'll be parents who will be happy, for example, to give a donation of seeds or bulbs, right, for the garden, yeah. for instance. I, I remember my son, he was so put out. You've never met Sean. You've never met either of my kids. But um, when Sean had his last gardening day, it was on a Friday. And unfortunately for him, I teach on Fridays until six in the evening. So so I was um, not able to come to the gardening day and he was very put out. And he, he, he was mm-hmm. quite upset because he'd seen, you know, his classmates and other kids he knew and their families, you know, their dads or dads and moms. And he was really put out and he actually asked me, he said, why did, you, you, why did we not sign up for the gardening day? And I was like, oh, Sorry, but Sean, I was working. And then he said, well, yeah, but Poppy could have come. And, <laughs> you know, for him, it, it was. Yeah. And I think we underestimate kids sometimes. And, and how oh, we much... really do. Mm. I mean, yeah. we, I, I worked very closely with the, the allotment team at the school. I haven't been able to as much this year. But, you know, I've spent, you know, a lot of time in the school with the kids like working on you know, planting and working on the, the importance of growing our own food. And, you know, a lot of them ate vegetables for the first time ever because they'd grown them themselves. You know, and it has that oh, empowering okay. aspect. But yeah. yeah as, as parents, you know, I, I know that my I'm lucky that I, I work as, as a freelancer. So, you know, I can choose my own hours, although which apparently is 24-7 <laughs> at the moment, um, <laughs> which is lovely. I get to choose to work all the time. Um, but I'm actually working with the, the school at the moment. In fact, I got a message from one of the teachers about eight seconds ago asking if I had designed a poster for the 
the the litter pick that we're doing on March the 20th you know so mm. it's about getting involved and it's about getting as many you know connected as much as you can even you know if you can spare five minutes on the walk into school to do something or yeah you know it doesn't have to take out from the main part of your day it can just be you know a part of the your routine in going to school or in collecting your child from school you can do something in those five minutes you know do something small yeah and I mean these are all really non-threatening I think what what we want is we want to reduce the distance in order to increase environmental awareness and we want to do it in a non-threatening way and you're talking about you know the the school run well the the walk to school we have, um, in, I know that in many places in the world, it is quite common for parents to drive their kids to mm-hmm. school. And, and we know that, you know, traveling by car, unless it's an e-car, but that's also not entirely true. Um, just driving, just automobiles, as the Americans would say, is bad for the environment. But a lot of parents think, oh, no, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a rush. I need to get my kids out. And, and um we need to get to school as quickly as we can, so we'll just hop into the car and drive. Now, what we have here um, and what I like about it in Germany is that um, the school actually encourages the kids to walk to school um, from their homes, obviously, but they're not selling it as um, walk, it's better for the environment. It's it's just, I I don't know, it's just a done thing. I was talking to some colleagues um, from the United States and and they they just thought it was for them it was just mind-blowing that my son he's eight now has been walking to school on his own it's a 20-minute walk at half past seven in the morning and he's been doing it since he was six and he has no problems with it and he walks home most most days as well and um, what the schools have done is just they, they just encourage it it's it's a word they, they use. A safe route, I imagine. There's a safe route um, in our city. I don't know if it's the same in every German city, but in our city, we've got um, this traffic policeman, traffic police person, yeah. um, and he goes to all the primary schools. We don't have that many, and he <clears throat> he does the route with the kids. I mean, we're very local, <laughs> so he does the routes with the kids, and um, and my daughter was go went to a different primary school than than my son did but either way both the the kids who go to these schools they come from particular catchment areas and what's great yeah. also with um my son's school is that kids who live in a particular neighborhood all are put into one same class so we've only got like about yeah. five streets in our neighborhood and they're all in that one class so that you know they can all organize um themselves in the morning and the kids walk to school together yeah. and and if you ask them the kids they don't have a problem with with walking to school but they would and and if you ask them you know and and why why do you think it's it's important that you walk to school they they wouldn't say oh it's because driving is bad or anything they just say well you know in the morning it um i get to talk to my friends before class starts and and we leave early enough so we we walk really slowly and and it's fun yeah and and i think that's what we need i think we need these little nudges to change behavior and and we have a nudge from our sponsors at this point Oh, lovely segue. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. 
Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our Study Skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. We have featured the issue of overseas students applying to UK universities a number of times on Teachers Talk Radio News. This year's application figures have recently been released. An analysis by the BBC shows the numbers are up for the second year in a row. The latest data shows over 115,000 students from outside the UK have applied, up almost 1,000 on last year. The rise comes despite tougher government rules to help reduce migration. It also follows accusations that universities have lowered standards to recruit overseas students, who can be charged more than students from the UK. Despite the rise, the number remains below pre-pandemic levels. UCAS Chief Executive Dr Joe Saxton said UK applications have also risen in recent years. However, Vivian Stern, Chief Executive of Universities UK, said the figures did not tell the whole story, as applications do not always translate into enrolments. She said that any future fall in enrolments could make it more difficult for universities to offer places to home students due to the financial impact. Ms Stern went on to explain that UK universities may be less appealing to overseas students due to policy changes around bringing family competition from universities in the US and Australia, and unhelpful government rhetoric. Full details of the story can be found on the BBC News website. The Mathematical Association's Twitter feed draws attention to changes announced by government on maths and English condition of funding for 16 to 19 year old learners. The changes, which can be found on the government website, include minimum teaching hours for full-time students, saying that there should be three hours per week for English and four hours per week for maths. It also states this should be standalone, whole class, in-person teaching. The extra hour reflects the existing expectation should be prioritised to ensure students receive a standard number of taught hours. Compliance will be measured for the academic year 2025-26. to 26. Full details of the impact on funding and other changes can be found on www.gov.uk. The post on Twitter did prompt renewed concerns about maths teacher recruitment and timetabling issues. FE Week also featured a story on the changes, calling them unworkable and a backward step. Wales Online features a story about languages teaching and qualifications, but not in the way you might expect. Whilst the Welsh National Party have long campaigned for increasing Welsh language teaching, members of the Wales Somaliland community are urging the Welsh Government to include a GCSE in Somali language in the new Welsh curriculum. The community is writing to Education Minister Jeremy Miles to explain the importance of this to the 15,000 strong Somaliland community saying it is important for young people to recognise and gain qualifications in their language and heritage. Community activist Ali Abdi said it was important that the large number of Somali pupils studying Welsh secondary schools learned their mother tongue and be recognised for their linguistic and cultural heritage. According to Mr Abdi, introducing a Somali GCSE aligns with the Welsh Government's commitment to diversity, equality and social justice. Finally, the BBC reports on research which has examined children's attitudes towards the monarchy. The outcome of the research suggests more support for the royals among state schools than in private ones. The study by King's College London found 66% of children in state schools aged 6 to 12 had a positive view of the monarchy, compared with 56% in private. 
It also found higher levels of support among children than among teens and young adults. The findings were based on questions for 2,000 pupils across 200 schools. The findings on primary school children in England, Scotland and Wales were in stark contrast to the views of young adults, with a YouGov twice yearly poll showing only 27% of 18 to 24 year olds saw the monarchy as good for Britain. The researchers said the primary children responding to questions around the monarchy had said it made them feel happy, excited or proud. Researchers could not explain the difference between state and private, but suggested it could reflect higher levels of international pupils in the private school sample, meaning they could have less of a connection to the British royal family. Further details of the research and its findings, as well as comparisons with other studies, can be found on the BBC News website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Thank you very much, Joe Fox, for the radio uh, for the Teachers Talk Radio News. Harry is back to us. We've been talking Hello. about plans. Hello, we've been talking about plans. We've been talking about actions, right? We've been talking about reducing distance. Question for you now: How else could we nudge? some environmental awareness into our students, our colleagues, our schools, our institutions? Nudge, um, I nudge. Think the, yeah, I think the first place that we really need to start, like, um, we need to ensure that everybody knows that the climate crisis isn't their fault. So, you know, we don't have to do everything. If we can do everything, then great. But, you know, you don't have to be... A, a, a bike riding vegan to, uh, mm. to solve the climate crisis. Take your steps, do what you can. But I think the number one thing to work on is to not waste. Look for areas where we can not waste. Just anything that we're doing that's, that's wasteful. Um, yep. And just start with those little steps and start by looking at how we can create a greener mindset in, in our students and, and cultivate those those ideas so that it can then grow and become bigger and turn into, you know, maybe, you know, your students might become activists later in life or maybe they'll become inventors or something like that. But it's taking these first steps. So looking at um, well, carbon literacy and, and just these, these simple sustainable behaviours. Um, it's actually the second chapter in the book that I'm writing, incidentally, um, where we look at all different ways that that we can we can encourage these sustainable behaviours by stuff like you know learning about where the term the carbon footprint came from, and mm. as I mentioned, with the most colourful meal, and then just things about you know we can do uh, we can do electricity audits. You know, yep. see where we're using electricity that we don't need to use electricity. And we can do plastic audits to see what plastic we're using that we don't need to be using. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a simple stop and look at what we are doing. So what we can change in ourselves and we can then move on and change on a on a bigger scale. And change begins at home as well. And I mean, I don't necessarily mean, you know, at home, home, but in the context of of my students, my students are going to be teachers, right, or young people that I know in, in school. School is also their home. So if in school they have a policy of waste not, want not, um, the children just automatically grow up with that mindset, just like the exactly. walking to school, most normal thing for them. My son gets um, a list of equipment that he needs right every we start in august so every july just before we begin he gets a a list of equipment that that we need to get and there's always always that note um from the teachers that ask parents to look at what they've still got from the previous year and to really think about whether they need to buy new ones and then so that one that that sounds a bit straight that quite straightforward but there's also you know, following that, there's also because um, I think teachers know that just some kids or, or some parents, some families just want new things. And then there's the second line that says, if you have bought new material, but would like um, to, it's something about, you know, just, just the ones that you don't use, you're welcome to bring it to us so that we can pass it on to families in need. So like that. Yeah. And, and I think that's also a very good thing. 
because what I, you know, do at home with, with, with my kids is we go through their exercise books and we kind of go, you know, do you really need a new one? Or paints, paints is, their paints are awful, awful expensive, but, and they don't finish off their paints in one school year. And yet there are yeah. kids who come, especially in primary school, every year with a new set of paints and, and you can give them to other kids or, or we have um, a, a box at school where you can donate um, clothes that your kids have gone out of, grown out of. And, and within yeah. Yeah. our own circle of friends, we, you know, share, not share, but we pass things on. So, you know, there was a time. There's a time when, when that won't work anymore because, you know, kids develop their own sense of fashion and, and their own sense of what they like and don't like. But for a long time, I had that with my son where I'd go and see my friend and she'd go, oh, yeah, I recognize that, you know. Yeah, well, exactly. But there's also like a lot of schools have school uniforms and stuff like that. And I know when I work with publishers, I'm not really allowed to say this one, but, you know, books are something that you can share and reuse because books are mega expensive. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I know they do at my, my daughter's school, but, you know, she gets her, um, they get the books that work, last for four years, basically. So every mm. four years they, they, they share them. But so each year a student gets given their book, they take it in, they don't write in the book, they use their notebooks. Mm-hmm. So it can be used again the next year and then it can be used again the next year. So it's, yeah. it's a, a great way of encouraging you know students not to do that and again it's it's saving the planet but it's also saving money um which let's be honest at the moment it's, it's pretty important that, that we we do that as much as possible yeah and and that that kind of that policy we have that here as well with with our um kids in germany um kids um at, at all levels of schooling well just primary and secondary but not at university they they get their books provided by the school mm-hmm. which they keep for that one school year like like what you've just said they don't write in it um, and then they return it and it gets passed on um, there are certain books like workbooks and other books it depends on the school um, where they want students to keep the books um, I find that um, f- in terms of sustainability in terms of you know saving money, I find that a very good idea. There are negatives to it as well because my daughter will just look at the book. She won't even take notes. She'll just look and she thinks, you know, just by looking at those pages, she's got the content in her head. But that's a different yeah. story. That's study skills altogether. Um, what you're saying, though, also is with, and here I'm coming back to this concept of nudging, nudging people into in, in the right direction um, with the money, right? So they get books loaned out which means they don't have to spend the money for on it and and maybe you you develop a cycle with the kids and with the families where the kids will start thinking about well do we actually need to spend money on this do we really need to have this right and exactly. and it it, it encourages them to think about book. resources differently yeah it really does and um, that idea of developing you know the, this this sense of do I need it or do I want it? It's it's a very difficult thing, and it's very difficult for kids especially because, you know, if they see something, usually they see it and they want it. You know, or they mm. see their friend has it, so they want it. So it's those those difficult things that we need to do. It's stuff like you know having the making sure that we use the same school bag like over yep. a couple of years. They're just just small little things that we can do. Yeah, um, my son has uses his, and in Germany it's also quite common. Um, they're in primary school for four years, and the school bags. There are these ergonomic ones that are massively, massively expensive, and I, I go as far as to say that I think seventy percent of German kids use the one same school bag for their entire primary school year. I mean, as they get to yeah. year three, year four, they're already thinking about, you know, getting a cooler one you know, for when they're older, because if you buy something when you're six and it's pink and it's got unicorns, right? When you're 10, you don't really That's want to be walking. always going to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I had that 
conversation with my son when, when we, you know, before he started primary school and, and we were looking at bags and I said to him, I said, you, you need to remember, you're only getting one for four years, you know, and, and I think these are difficult conversations. Um, and sometimes you, you'll be met with resistance from the child who goes, no, but I want it, I want it, or, or I think you're stupid, or why are you saying that? Um, but if you just keep at it, you will be able to change mindsets. And even among colleagues, if, if you say, you know, look, let's put some plants here and I'll take care of it, you know, if it's in, let's say, in our kitchen at work. Right. And you say, I'll take care of it. And at some point, somebody else may think, oh, I'll add another plant to this. And we have, for example, we have um, dishwashing liquid that comes from Eco, Ecover, which is that. Uh, you know, yeah, I know the one. Yeah. And, and all you need is little nudges, right? Close the distance, make it relevant. It's actions. Actions speak louder. Then words. Do you have another nudge for us? Something else we could do? Oof. Um, I think my favorite nudge of all, and a, a great friend of mine once said this to me. He said that litter picking is a gateway drug to environmentalism. So I think that we should encourage all of our kids to go and do a litter pick and try and connect with nature in that way because, you know, that way you can see that you're you're doing something, you're making a difference, but you're also connecting to nature. So it's all of those. It has community spirit in it as well. So it's basically everything we're looking at all rolled into one. I'm glad you mentioned it because this is what I wanted to ask you. My son wanted to do a little pick. Not my son, the other way around. My husband wanted to do a little pick with our son and he even bought one of those little picking, well, you know, those those long pincer things right so you don't have to bend oh, down no, and pick ones, up yeah. the litter right okay i yeah. see i don't know the word for it so my son my husband bought one but my son thinks it's massively embarrassing help me out yeah yeah well, that's the thing it it doesn't it, it doesn't seem cool to do that kind of thing at first but once mm. other people see that you're doing it and other people join in you know if you do a big pick and I could get the whole community involved, that's a great way to start and show everyone. It's a great leveler. You can go out, you can have a chat. Um, yeah. We still do litter picks on the way to school at the moment. In fact, I'm trying to organize one um, for for the 20th of March um, at the moment. And, and it is just a way, it's, as soon as you see other people doing it, it will start to be a bit less not cool. Mm. I mean, we have the big ones. We have, you know, the community ones. And, and I can well yeah. imagine my son would do that no problem. But it's just, I don't, yeah, it's just the being the only one on the street doing it at that moment. That that for him is just, just uncool. I mean, he understands, you know, litter yeah. and all that. And, and therefore he does not litter. But his, his is like, but why do we have to do that? It's somebody else's rubbish. That's his, you know, that's his take on it. Um, but we'll, I think we'll leave the audience with these thoughts and then um, I'll have you back again some other time. Thank you very much, Harry. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure as always, and I will see you in April. I will see you in April. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. 
Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. And that was me with Harry Waters on a Monday morning break. Dear listeners, we looked at how making environmental awareness and sustainability issues more local, reducing the distance between issues and our learners. We looked at actions like making your classroom greener. We looked at things like litter picking and other shows this week. We have Michelle looking at teacher training today on the Twilight Show on Wednesday, while Poppy will be exploring parental involvement in education on the Friday morning break. And remember, you can always listen back to previous shows on www.ttradio.org. And that's it from me. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.